1: Hello everyone, my name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be doing the conference today. Uh, Shri, can you start our first question, please? Krishna Gupta.
2: Hi. Uh, um, Hello. Hello.
1: Yes, go ahead.
2: Yeah. So, hi, I uh, wish you very happy new year. Actually, I have a question like, you know, uh, my, uh, my, I just got an H1 approval till February 2026. And now I want to extend the same uh, for my wife. Her H4 extension is going, H4 is going to be expired on this March, 2023. So I want the same can be increased for her as well. So she can also get, uh, you know, EAD till February, 2026, based on my approval. So uh, can you please uh, help me, like, how she can get the I-94 extension? What are the possible ways to, you know, she can continue her job till uh, February 2026?
1: Uh, If she doesn't want a gap in work authorization and she hasn't already filed the I-539 and I-765, then most likely you would both need to travel together in order to try to get the I-94 extended for your wife. you could file the i 53 I would probably go ahead and file the I-539 and I-765 right now anyway, even if you're not, even if you plan to travel also because you need a pending I-765 in order to qualify for the EAD auto extension so you can get that started, get that in process. Um, but yeah, if her current I-94 expires in March, um, there won't be enough time to get the I-539 actually approved by then, so travel to Canada or Mexico, Mexico is more likely because uh, you may not need a visitor visa for Mexico um, or generally you don't. Um, So for that, um, it's not necessary that you have valid visa stamps in your passport. You can go for a weekend as long as it's less than 30 days. You can come back with expired visa stamps. The main thing to keep in mind is that you need to travel if you're going to try this the, um, auto extension through travel. Uh, your wife needs to go and come back to the U.S. before March 2023, before her current I-93, I-94 expires. Um, and it's best if you two travel together and, uh, fly instead of, uh, travel by car. It's not guaranteed that they, so CDP is not required to extend her H4 I-94 to February 2026, but the chances are higher if you are traveling by air and if you are traveling together as a couple, because then they have to give you until February 2026, and if she's traveling with you, they're more likely to just give you both the same end date. If you're coming in at the same time okay we have a video on our um youtube channel about that that goes through the whole process so you can take a look at that okay uh next question shankar
3: hello i have a a question regarding my stamping uh in the past i had an l1a blanket rejection way back in 2018 and then in the same year i got my l1a individual approved Uh, and at that time when i filled the ds160 form for the visa stamping there was a question called have you ever been refused a u.s visa so based on my attorney's advice i gave no because the reasoning they said was it's not a visa refusal the blanket rejection so i got my visa stamped and then i traveled to the u.s i'm right now in the u.s uh, i was in l1a until a few months back i switched to h1b right now and then i'm traveling back to india for stamping and i have a question with that DS-160 form again, uh, should I, you know, give continue to give it as no for the question, have you ever been refused a U.S. visa because of my L-1A into uh, blanket rejection? That's Hi. the it's two part. Okay,
1: so in 2018, when it was rejected, you actually made it to the interview, you like filled out the DS-160, you were scheduled for the appointment and you went and they said they couldn't issue it to you under the blanket for whatever reason at that time? Yes. Yeah, okay. I
3: bl- blanket was rejected with 221G and then I appeared for individual again and got it approved.
1: Yeah, I would still consider that a, a refusal technically. Um, a 221G is technically considered a refusal even if they never ended up making a final decision on it if at the interview they are not able to approve the visa application, the 221G is considered a refusal at that time, even if they later, while it's in administrative processing for however long, you know, months, if they still end up issuing it later, that um, refusal at the interview is, the 221G at the interview is considered a refusal. So I probably would answer yes to that question on the DS-160.
3: But the last time when I appeared, I answered no, and this time when I go for H-1B, if I answered yes, will that be an issue?
1: I don't think so. If you are asked about it, you can just explain that for whatever reason, at the time your attorney advised you that you didn't, that a blanket um, application rejection isn't considered a visa refusal, um, that you, you know just misunderstood it at the time but that you're you know answering it okay. correctly now
3: got it got it and even when i appear when i when i fill the stamping appointment again i see this question have you ever been refused a us visa so i'll i'll i'll, I'll answer however i answer in the ds160 if i say yeah. yes i'll answer there as well but will it will will it impact my dropbox eligibility Uh, for the visa stamping interview?
1: No, I don't think so, especially if you're applying now for an H-1B. It's not related to the L-1 anymore. I don't think it would affect your eligibility. Because I believe it may if you have been refused a visa in that class before. But if you're applying for an H-1B now, I don't think it would affect your ability to apply for the Dropbox
3: all right and would you with this situation i'm i'm having a tough time with this question because in the past it's a different answer would you suggest you know rather go to an in person interview rather than a dropbox well
1: if you apply through the dropbox they could still always call you in for an in person interview and that has been happening more recently. Anyway, we suspect the State Department has been under pressure to make more appointments available and they have recently, but the drawback of that is they still have limited processing capacity and so they're still calling people in for interviews sometimes. So if they do want further explanation, they'll schedule you for or ask you to come in for an interview. So if you can, if you're able to try the Dropbox, I would go ahead and try it. Uh, Next question.
2: Thank you. Radha?
4: Yeah. Hi. Uh, good morning. So I have applied for H1B through Infosys in 2010 and I traveled in 2011, stayed till 2013 January, in which I used only 15 months of my H1. And now I wanted to apply with my current organization, Nokia. So will it be a new H1 application or I can still file an extension with the, my current organization? as I have gap of uh, 10 years. So I just wanted to know if it is a new application uh, with the lottery or I can use the old one.
1: Um, it's considered a new <laughs> application but it won't be subject to the cap. So you, if you were in the US in H-1B status um, at some point in the past, then you're not required to go through the lottery again. But your current employer, when they're filing the petition, they they should classify it as a new employment because this would be your first application with that company, but you don't need to go through the lottery selection process again. Um, just provide the attorney with the copy of your previous H-1B approval notice and your visa stamp and let them know the dates that you were in the US in H-1B status.
4: Okay, okay. So uh, as we are talking about the approval notice, I I stayed for three years and I have uh, three approval notices because I extended uh, three times and each uh, time I got it for one year. I got the two, uh, first two approval notice, but the third one my old organization didn't give as I didn't go for stamping. So they didn't give me and now when I'm asking them, they are not giving it. So is there any way to get the third notice? What What can I do with that?
1: It may be difficult to get the third notice. I don't, you may be able to try a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request, but I would say you don't really need that third notice. If you never went for stamping on it, never came into the U.S. on it, and if you have your previous approval notices and visa stamps that you did use, then I would say that's enough to file this application. Okay.
4: I used the third notice when I was, I was in U.S. only, I filed the extension. So that okay. I was there and you were with the third notice, but the thing is, I didn't go for actual physical
1: stamping and okay. I came back before. Okay. Yeah. So it was an approved extension. Um, yeah, it would be best if you have it and can provide it. But if you, I mean, if the company never gave it to you and it was that long ago, there's not much you can do to try to get it. I would just make sure uh, the attorney who's filing your petition now is aware of the dates that you were actually in the U.S. in H-1B status, since they would need to make sure you don't go over the six-year limit.
4: Okay. I have the approval notice number, the third one, so is there any way... Yeah, if you you have the receipt
1: number, um, sometimes what we've done is include a printout from the USCIS case status website with that receipt number that at least shows it was approved. Um, Okay. Hopefully, the case status website will still show that for an application from that long ago. I think it should. So you can provide that to the attorney and they can try to use that. Okay. Sure. Thank you. Sure. Krishna?
5: Hey, good to see you, Rebecca. Uh, I have Hi. one question about... Um, uh, can you hear me? My first yes. question is that one. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I have one question. Uh, whether we can... Uh, for unanticipated locations regarding the perm, uh, we need to file at the headquarters of the company. Am I correct? Is it a mandatory thing? Because uh, currently, my employer's lawyer is filing at a different uh, location and also he mentioned it on anticipated locations. So uh, that's what I, am, I have that uh, firm question. Uh, that is my first question. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, technically, if You, if the perm is being filed with unanticipated locations, the rule is that the recruitment, like the advertising and the prevailing wage, all of that should be done then from the company's headquarters.
5: Okay, so is it a convention or is is that the rule?
1: That is pretty much the rule. Um, There have been some situations where if, for example, I mean, for a perm that is not yet Filed, I would say that's pretty much the rule. If it means the company needs to redo the prevailing wage, that might be necessary if their headquarters has changed. It's, um, we have had some other situations where maybe a perm has already been filed, approved with unanticipated locations. And, you know, the advertising was done from what was the company's headquarters at that time. If the company then later, after the PERM approval, moves its headquarters to a different MSA, you know, a different metropolitan area, um, if the actual headquarters is moving to a different MSA, technically a new PERM might need to be done. There is a bit of a gray area where sometimes if the company is keeping that office open in the original headquarters location, and if they're you know, so maybe they have two, more than one office now, but they're keeping the office location open in the original PERM location. Um, There's an argument that you can make in that situation that maybe the PERM doesn't need to be redone, but if it's a situation where the PERM is in process now, or, you know, the headquarters is changing Before it's filed or approved, I would say if the actual headquarters is changing, the office is no longer existing in that original location, they probably need to start over, get a new prevailing wage for the new headquarters.
5: Okay. Um, Second question If within the same MSA, uh, if the office moves, do we need to change the? That's yeah,
1: okay. that's okay. If it if the new office location, new headquarters is in the same MSA as the original one, that's fine. Um, because prevailing wages are based on the geographic location, and advertising right. is, will be done in that same metro area.
5: Right, and uh, the the last one is a generic question about uh, the new rule. Uh, from USAS, uh, yeah, a rulemaking process like. Uh, uh, for incrementing uh, fee.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, for EAD and advanced parole, if anyone submits it for the renewal, do we need to pay again? Uh,
1: yeah, according to that proposed rule, they would, I mean, according to the proposal, if it goes through, they would require fees for any EAD AP applications, including ones that are filed based on a pending I-485.
5: Uh, and I'm No, it's just like uh, mm-hmm. if we have already filed uh, EAD Advance Parole once for renewals of, uh, from 2007 till the finalization of rule, those were not included as per the current rule. Am I correct? Right, now,
1: right now, there's no DHS filing fee for an EAD or AP renewal based on a pending I-485. But mm-hmm. if this proposed rule goes through, it would require fees for all EADs, and APs, including the renewals based on a pending I-485. Okay.
5: Oh, that is depressing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we are, I think uh, on our website, we have like a um, instructions and like kind of a template for submitting comments. It's only a proposal right now. So they are accepting um, comments from the public, anyone who's affected. So we are encouraging people to submit comments. on
5: Yeah, um, a similar thing was done in 2016 or uh, sometime 2019, something like that. They but attempted
1: the has- this in 2020. Yeah, they attempted it like in uh, end of September 2020. It almost went into effect until it was put on hold by a court. Um, and then so they're trying again now.
5: So is it the same thing or what was the reason for that time on this time?
1: At that time, because it was the Trump administration, it was put on hold by a court because they said the administration didn't go through the proper process. At that time, you know, the administration had like an acting DHS chief that probably wasn't really authorized to be making those kinds of decisions. Now with the Under the current administration, they did go through the proper processes to, you know, put the acting, the DHS chief um, is authorized to make. So there is a better chance, I would say, that this rule will go through. Um, But, you know, if it not, I would say it's likely that these will increase as a result of this proposal, but uh, it may not be exactly what is laid out you know, in the current proposal. So if we can get enough public comments of why the C9, the I-485 EADs, APs should not require filing fee, then, you know, hopefully they'll remove yeah, that. Yeah. One. Okay. Uh, next question.
4: Hi.
5: Um. Hello. Yeah. Um. I have a question regarding my 485, like my priority date is 2014 and uh, um, yeah, I was downgraded to EB3 and my 485 J uh, 485, uh, is applied recently. The case, uh, um, status has been changed saying that, uh, they stopped the work on my case. So just want to understand like, what does that mean? And, uh, yeah, the, what's happening like, in September, it, it said, like my case has been moved to a different processing center, like NBC. And now I think last week the status changed to that. Uh, yeah, the current work on my case has been stopped for now and, uh, uh, yeah, just want to understand, like, what could be the reason and um, yeah, so on. Yeah,
1: yeah. unfortunately, mainly the main reason pending I-485s right now can't go forward is because the priority date retroaggression. Um, right. So that did just happen in, you know, October of 2022. Up until, you know, those first few days of September, they were still approving as many I-485s as they could while the priority dates were still current and visa numbers were available but we know that they um used up all the green cards they could by you know the first few days of September so um since October yeah definitely any unfortunately 2014 priority dates are no longer current and so that is the most likely reason for that message I'm not sure why it only appeared in the last week I guess they're just now getting around to updating its statuses but yeah I would say it's Um, that's pretty much the The reason. Yeah.
5: Sure. And they'll start working on it like when the date gets more than the priority dates.
1: Yeah. When priority dates do become current again, whenever that is, I would say most likely probably the first thing they'll ask for is a new medical exam because I suspect any previously submitted medical exam will be expired by then. Um, So kind of just be on the lookout for that if sure. you know, keep
4: up
5: with our news updates and um so you can get ready for that when it's getting closer. Cool. Okay. Swaru Rebecca, my question is on conversion from H1B to H4EAD. My okay. spouse and myself currently work on H1B and I would like to switch to H4 plus EAD via a uh, change of status process and my attorney told me that uh, the Change of status should be dated six months out, but also cautioned that uh, just in case the processing takes more than six months, there could be interruption uh, interruption to my current work. So, would you recommend uh, dating it to seven or eight months to be on the safer
2: side? I
1: would say that's not really necessary. So, um, is your current H one B valid for longer than yes?
5: It's valid for more- next two next two years.
1: Okay, and you are you're continuing to work for your h1b employer your intention is to continue working for the same employer without interruption um it's not really necessary to date the start requested start date of the h4 as the estimated date when the i-539 will be approved because you can't really estimate when that will be um i would say in that situation we usually just um the start date is kind of you know about a month out which would be ideal and then what's the end date matching your spouse's h1b end date and then whenever the h4 change of status gets approved they'll put the effective date on the i-797 approval notice as the date that it's approved anyway so the start date that you list on the form isn't that important because it'll just be whenever the change of status is approved by ucis That's what they'll put on the approval notice and that's when it will be effective. Until then, as long as you're continuing to work for your H-1B employer and maintaining status there, there shouldn't be any interruption to your work authorization. You can continue working in H-1B while the I-539 and I-765 are pending. And then hopefully once, hopefully the I-539 and I-765 essentially get approved almost exactly at the same time, there may be a small gap if your H-4 is approved and it takes longer for your EAD card to arrive. From what we are seeing most of the time, the I-765 and I-539 are approved at essentially the same time if they're filed together. So um, there shouldn't be too much of a gap in employment because from the time your status does change over to H-4, you won't be authorized to work until you have the EAD in hand, but that should be just you know maybe a week or so. Um, until the card
2: arrives in the mail. Okay. Muttukumar. Hi, Rebecca. So uh, I got an uh, email uh, from our company that uh, March 24th, 2023, that is uh, three months from now would be my last working day. So uh, till March 24th, my payroll will be uh, rolling up. So uh, I am presently on L1B visa, and I don't have any IE 140 approved because I moved uh, to U.S. in the month of May 2022, that last year. So uh, I do know that I do have a 60-day grace period from my last date uh, of my employment, right? So Mm -hmm. is there any chance I can stay uh, for longer uh, till my uh, next job hunt is done in U.S. here? So what are my other options?
1: Oh, yeah, that'll be pretty difficult, unfortunately. The 60-day grace period, uh, does apply, but in most cases, uh, for example, if you were in H-1B right now, then we would just need to file an H-1B transfer to you within those 60 days. But for an L-1, you're really only authorized to kind of move over to another company in that mul- same multinational organization, which, you know, isn't really an option. Um Yeah, it'll be pretty difficult, because if you've never been selected in the H-1B lottery, you would need to go through the lottery, even if you found someone to sponsor your H-1B. The lottery occurs in March, but even if you were selected and the application was filed within the 60 days, the start date for any new H-1B is October 1st. And so um, your grace period will only get you to about May, and so there's still about a 4 month gap until the h1b would become effective you would most likely if you were able to find an h1b sponsor and get selected in the lottery this march i think they would you would still need to depart the us apply for the h1b visa stamp and come back in october the only mm-hmm. other alternative would be to get h1b sponsorship from a cap exempt organization like a university or hospital associated with the university or a nonprofit that qualifies for CAPEXM status, then they don't have to, you don't need to go through the lottery to work with them. If they could file an application for you within that 60-day grace period, then you can start working for them once it's approved without having to leave the U.S. Your status could just change over. Mm-hmm. But apart from those, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think those would kind of be your main
2: what about, I have uh, a follow-up follow question saying that, okay, the compiling circumstances, would that work, the compiling circumstances EAD?
1: Potentially, you can try, um especially, um, yeah, I would say the compelling circumstances EAD, we haven't used it that much because there does usually need to be some kind of pretty extraordinary situation, um most of the successful compelling circumstances EADs that our office has done were filed in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic when in a similar situation of a layoff, even if somebody wanted to depart to their home country, they just couldn't at that time because of lack of flights or travel um, situations. Um, I would say a layoff on its own probably wouldn't be too strong of a case for a compelling circumstances EAD, but if there is something with you or your family situation where there's some kind of health or medical or like extreme financial, um, difficulty situation, you can maybe look into that. Um, I would probably schedule if you are interested, there is, you know, a possible situation like that, that you want to discuss. I would, um, try contacting Brian Wilk in our office. He's the attorney that's done most of the compelling circumstances, EAD cases. Okay. Uh, next
2: question. Shravan? Uh, hi, Rebecca. Hi. Uh, I'm Shravan and uh, I finished my master's in 2021 and uh, I'm working on my uh, op- TEM OPT right now, but uh, during 2022 uh, June, my H1B petition was filed, but uh, because of some reason uh, my, uh, like this H1B was filed from a uh, different employer than the one which I'm working from. So uh, that employer, uh, for some reason, uh, they are still unable to track the uh, petition status. And so they are following up with USCIS uh, for uh, the service request and trying to schedule an info pass appointment and all that. But in the meanwhile, my service record is showing as a change of status. So, what does that mean, and in what way will it impact my active status and all that?
1: So, yeah, if your service record shows a change of stat, does it show that your service record has been terminated, then according to your DSO?
2: No, I, I uh, requested a follow up email. I sent a follow up email uh, regarding the same. So, I'm just awaiting the response from them. But I would just like to know the possible uh, outcomes and what I can do.
1: Usually when we see that a service record shows that a change of status has taken place, that's usually the result of an H-1B petition that was filed and approved. Um, so when that happens for someone who's in F-1 status, SEVIS gets notified and they usually immediately terminate the. F1, the SEVIS record from September 30th because they think the H1B will go into effect from October 1st or from whenever, you know, maybe if the H1B application is pending beyond October 1st, the change of status would be recorded from the date it's approved. It usually does result in a termination of the SEVIS record, which means your OPT would no longer be valid. It sounds like there is kind of something unusual in this case since it's not even clear whether the H-1B has been approved. Um, I would yes. probably yes. try to follow up with your DSO to get more mm-hmm. clarity on what your service record shows right now, because mm-hmm. even if it's a miss, well, yeah, if it is a mistake, then the DSO can request a data fix and try to get you reinstated into service. Um, But they need to act on that pretty quickly. So I would probably get with your DSO first and try to get confirmation on the status of your service record and keep following up with the H-1B petitioner to try to find out what the actual status of that application is.
2: So in the meanwhile, I, I, I can still keep working for this few days with my current employer as these things if, get resolved.
1: If your service record is still active, then your OPT mm-hmm. is still valid. Um, okay, that's okay. the main question because whenever, uh, when service records a change of status, it usually means they terminate the service record. If that is the case, then technically you wouldn't be authorized to work right now, even if your EAD is still valid. So that's kind of why okay. the do would so, be the uh, first person I If that is the
2: case, even if I'm not authorized to work, but I can actually stay in the U.S., right, until my uh, H-1 uh, process is finished.
1: Um, that is also kind of up in there because your service record depends on you being, that is needed for you to be maintaining proper F-1 status. Um, So if it is a mistake and your h one isn't approved yet, then you need to get reinstated in SEVIS as soon as possible. If that SEVIS record is correct and the change of status to H-1B has been approved, then you need to be working for your H-1B employer in order to be maintaining status. So I would probably, yeah, check with your DSO first to try to get clear on what the SEVIS record actually shows. Okay, okay. Okay, so sorry, we'll have to um, end the conference here for today. The next one will be tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites